Welcome to the Master Passive Income Show. My name is Dustin Heiner, and I'm here to help you learn how to get financial independence, quit that J-O-B, that just overbroke job, and live the dream life by investing in real estate. Now today, we are gonna follow up on last week's episode talking about what is stopping you from investing and from scaling your business to even more properties, 10, 20, 30, 40 properties, so that you can become financially independent. And these are the tips that I give all of my students. I have hundreds of, or maybe even thousands of students now, and this is what gets them past the roadblocks that's stopping them from investing and scaling their business to financial independence. All right, let's start the show. Welcome to the Master Passive Income Podcast, where we talk about investing in real estate with a special focus on making enough money so you can quit your job and live the dream life. And now, here is your host, Dustin Heiner. Hey, what's going on? Thank you so much for being here with me on the show. I super appreciate you being here with me. In fact, I have been getting a lot of messages and DMs and and emails from people who have just listened to the show become real estate investors or bought their 10th property or scaled their business because of the show. So I super appreciate everybody reaching out to me and just sharing that I'm helping you. I just, that's literally why I have the show is because it's so amazing seeing people change their lives. And you can find me on Instagram, the Dustin Heiner. You'll find me, that's my handle. And I'm not that arrogant. It's the only handle I could come up with, you know, T-H-E Dustin Heiner. Find me on there. And it, I usually, it's, I don't really post things that most people that are, uh, you know, teaching real estate or whatever, they post a lot of stuff about how to invest in real estate, these little short things. I can't do short form content. It's just weird. Like I've, I've tried to do like YouTube shorts. Uh, didn't really try TikTok. All I saw were just a bunch of crazy things on there that I didn't want to be a part of. So I just never <laughs> installed TikTok. And, but with YouTube shorts and Instagram, I tried to put together short form content and, you know, put, oh, like, let's put out a one minute thing that gives you five points, but literally goes in no detail. I'll be completely honest with you. That is so hard for me. Like for me to create a podcast episode that's, I don't know, 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes, or however long it is, it's so much easier than doing a one minute episode. If you follow me on Instagram, it'll just be me and what my family's doing and all the fun things that I do. You know, I just like posting things so other people can see my friends and family so they can see what we're doing, keeping up on us. So I'm definitely not a social media influencer at all. In fact, I really, I just don't like social media all that much. I mean, it's okay. It gets people connected, but man, it's just lots of downsides. I just love long form content, long YouTube videos, long podcasts, yeah, because that's what I like to listen to. That's what I like to watch. So that's where I'm at. So you can check me out there. Now, I do have to follow up something from last week. So this week, we are talking all about getting past the roadblock and really the biggest roadblock for everybody from buying their first property to scaling their business to 20 or 30 or 50 properties. It's really fear and the unknown. And as I was sharing last week, we're going to follow up from last week. And these are really basically just questions that I get from people who are reaching out to me and they have these fears. These things come up. And like the things we're we'll be talking about today, these are questions that come up all the time with my students. Like, well, how do you make sure we get the right tenant? Like, we're going to go through all that stuff because I want this to be instead of unknown for you. I want it to be known. Like, I want you to have that in your brain. Like, oh, like, 
this question comes in my mind. The answer is unknown to me, but somebody else has already done it. And they've already done it, and they've, it worked out well for them. So now it's known. Instead of being unknown and having fear, well, instead of that, you're just going to be known for you. Now, there's one thing I also want to add on to before we jump into the meat of this, where we talk about the last part of getting past the fear, is we were planning on were, and the stress, the uh, term were, or the word were, so my wife and I were planning a 35-day trip. It was almost even going to go to like 40 days, depending on how long we actually wanted to go, and not even have anything to worry about my business, put everything on autopilot, like master passive income to uh, uh, my real estate investing. So we were going to go on a 35-day trip from Phoenix all the way up to Glacier National Park in Montana, pulling a trailer with my SUV, my expedition. And so we got everything all situated, rented a trailer. It was about an hour and 20 minutes away from us. Drove all the way there, picked it up. It was driving fine. Turned out the air conditioner and the refrigerator wasn't working well. Eventually it started working. So we pack up everything and we start going on our trip, a 3,000 mile round trip, about 50 miles out. Mind you, this is the middle of July. It's one of the hottest points in the summer 119 degrees and that's the day that we're actually we're taking off and my expedition we're driving like i don't know 10 30 11 a.m something like that and we're driving up the highway 17 and my car about 50 miles out starts to get a little hot i'm looking at the temperature gauge just kind of watching it now we got the ac on because it's 119 degrees outside i got my wife and my four kids in our expedition pulling a 7,000 pound trailer up the i-17 and there's no real big hills until about, I don't know, 30, 40 miles out. Well, all of a sudden, and we're not even at any huge hills yet. We're just kind of going over a couple that are really small ones. And the heat starts building up in the engine. I looked down. I was like, what in the... It's, the heat shouldn't be there. It's, now, it's not redlining at all, but it's starting to creep up. And I said, this isn't good. I mean, we just started. Let me see. Maybe let me turn off the air conditioner because it's 119 degrees outside. So that could do it. So we turned off the air conditioner, rolled down the windows, and we were like 50 miles out. And it's hot. It's 119 degrees blowing on all of us. My kids are like, oh, this is so hot. I'm like, I know, but I don't want to overheat the car because we got this huge climb coming up. If you have come from Phoenix going up to Flagstaff, there's a bunch of hills that you have to go up. And they're pretty steep grades. In fact, there's lots of accidents from people coming back down very very fast so we're going up this grade and with the ac off and i notice even going up with the ac off that my car is starting to get really really hot so get up to the top of the pass it was almost to the red it wasn't red yet it was almost to the red get to the very top we were going like 20 miles an hour in 119 degree <laughs> it might have been more because of all the you know the pavement and all the cars and stuff so we get over the pass, and then we get down, and it's a place called Camp Verde. We pull over in Camp Verde, and it's a little town, and it's like a you know Domino's Pizza. We stop over, get gas, and get some pizza for the kids, because we've been driving for like an hour and a half, going 20 miles an hour in 119-degree heat with the windows down. And so I thought, okay, maybe it was just the pass. Let me keep going. So I get back on the road. We're going probably a good another 10 miles. And then it starts happening again. Like it starts heating up again. Now we're past the big climb because I was worried about the big climb of going up the hill. We're past that, but there's a couple more. And as we start going, we're going about 20 miles, 30 miles, 40 miles an hour. And then it starts getting hot. So I pull over and apparently pulling over, the fan stops. I mean, I knew it. I just didn't think it was going to do something, but there's a fan 
that runs that cools off the engine. Well, when you turn it off, because I lower, the reason why I pulled over was to dump out all the water so that maybe the trailer being full of water is causing it to be that much heavier, which it was, don't get me wrong, it was. But I dumped it all out and then my car wouldn't start because it said, hey, danger, danger, your car is overheating. So I pour a little bit of water on the heat shield that's on top of it just to try to see if it cools it down, which after about 20 minutes, it finally did. So we get back on the road and then I turn around. Oh, this is the story is getting really, really long. I apologize. I'm realizing that this story is getting long. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to fast forward it. So we turn around because I told my wife, hey, honey, we're going on a 3000 mile trip. If this is going on the first 60, 70, maybe 80 miles, and we're having this much trouble. Let's turn around. Let's, let's, let's not go on this big trip. So I was really blessed that we turned around because we started driving back, climbed back up the grade, up to the top of the hill, and it started coming down. It was almost overheating. Finally get back down. We were driving for literally five hours with the windows down because we're going so slow in 119 degree heat with this big, long 31-foot trailer and get back to my house. I'm going to fast forward the story. So I take that trailer back to the place where I rented it. Well, they had an RV there. I thought, let me rent an RV. An RV would be much better. You know, we don't have to pull it with our SUV. I go over there the next day, pick up an RV and drive it back. And I kid you not, it's still 118 degrees. It was probably like 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And we're driving back, or I'm driving back. My wife takes the SUV back to the house about an hour and a half drive we're driving or I'm driving in the car and the cab AC cuts out and the generator for the entire rest of the RV AC cuts out and doesn't work. Oh, so I'm going to fast with a story. Stop throwing good time and good money after bad. And I realize maybe the Lord is telling me first the AC wasn't working. Then my car starts overheating. Then we get this new RV and the RV AC doesn't work and the generator doesn't work. Oh, we'll put brand new one in there. I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to get stuck a thousand miles away wishing I was in my bed, you know, like not sleeping in a hotel bed and thinking how in the world am I going to tow this trailer back or this RV or uh, so I decided not to go on this adventure with my family, maybe sometime in the future. But now we're at home and our 35 day, day trip is literally done. I'm taking the kids on another trip. Oh, okay. So that was a lot. I know you guys are probably thinking, oh man, Dustin, get, get on with it, dude. You're just talking. It was an ordeal. Like, it's just fun sharing. You guys are my friends. But it's, it, ugh, it was so frustrating. Literally four days, five days of this, just putting my life on pause and then nothing. So, <laughs> oh my goodness. Hopefully, hopefully that doesn't happen to most people, but it did to me. Now, I am thinking of unknown and thinking of how your life can change when you do something that you don't know, but then you push through. Well, pushing through is pushing through that unknown and pushing through that fear. And that's what we're going to follow up. And really, we're following up on questions that my students have. And people that reach out to me on email, they have these questions. And they're great questions. And that's why I wanted to have this two-part episode. Well, there was so much in the first one. So go back and listen to the first episode because there's so much in there of really to help you to have all the unknown gone. But this episode, we are going to round out the rest of the fears, the questions, the concerns that people have when they invest in real estate, when they scale their business to 20, 30, 40, 50 pro properties. We can do that. It's just getting past that fear.
And I want to pause for a quick second and share that honestly, I really want you to invest in real estate. Now my new goal is to help 1 million people invest in real estate. So two things I would ask from you. Number one, if you get anything out of this episode, please share it with somebody else. Just say, hey, you know, check out Dustin, Master Passive Income. He really wants to help a million people to invest in real estate. That's number one. Number two, I want to get you to invest in real estate. Get my real estate investing course absolutely for free. Text the word rental, R-E-N. T-A-L to 33777. Rental to 33777. I'll literally give you my course, show you how to find the area of the country to invest, how to build the business first. You know, I always talk about that and how to find the right properties, how to make sure you're getting experts to do the work for you and scale the business to where you're making $250 or more in passive income, scale it to quit your job. I'll literally get to you or go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash free course. Obviously, it'll be in the description, but I really, really want you to invest in real estate because the more that actual normal everyday people own real estate that are good landlords, the better everybody's life gets. Now, we're going to be picking up back off of the last episode where we talked all about the fear. And I had a bunch of questions that we were going through. And I want to walk you through a few of the questions right now. So let's say you start feeling overwhelmed. You start seeing so many different properties. You're, there's so many things you don't know. Well, you want to get educated. You don't want to lose sight of your goal. In order to get out of feeling overwhelmed, you need to get education to help you to know where you're going, but then also have the perseverance because your goal in the future of what you want to do with your life and not work a job or be able to travel the world or whatever it might be, you want to be able to keep that in the forefront of your mind so it makes you work harder towards it. The next question I get is, what if I lose money? And again, I'm just quickly going over these. If you want to learn more about these, go to the last episode. So people ask, what if I lose money? You know, if, if you lose money, well, you don't want to lose money. Obviously, nobody wants to lose money. But what you need to do is mitigate those possibilities of you losing money. And by doing that, you are going to buy the right property. You're going to build a business. You're going to make sure you have enough income coming in from that property. And again, go back to the last episode where we talked all about how to do that. Now, people also ask, what if I buy the wrong property? Well, you need to build a team around you to help you find the right property. And what if I buy in the wrong area, the state or the country, wrong area of the country, or even the wrong town or possibly even the wrong street? What if I do that? Well, there's ways around that. Now, I get so many questions about tenants, and this is what we're going to pick up on. People are going to ask, you know, what if I get bad tenants? I know we talked about this in the last episode, but let's pick it up here from here. So if I get bad tenants, the biggest thing you want to do is stop getting bad tenants. That's the It's easy to say, harder to do, but here's what you want to do is run background checks. Always, always, always run a background check. Even if you need to pay yourself for the background check because the tenant won't or the possible applicant will not pay for the background check, you absolutely need to pay that yourself because you're going to be saving so much money in the long run. A $30 background check could save you as much as $2,000 in the turnover of property for somebody being evicted. Now, here's another question easily comes right after that is, what if I have an eviction? You know, what if I have an eviction that is going to, you know, have somebody stay in my property for a month, maybe two months, or if you live in California, like eight months, because it takes forever for California to evict anybody. I'm probably I'm more tongue in cheek. It's probably maybe like three or four. But anyways, so what if I have an eviction? And again, I mean, I have to say it again, do a background check. You're mitigating against losses by picking the right people to be inside your property. Another part of it is, don't let the tenant stay in the property longer than absolutely 
necessary. If they stop paying, you need to have business rules set up. And here's another part, another huge pro tip I'm going to give you. I'm going to walk you through this. And if you go to my show notes, masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero five two. This is the 52nd Master Passive Income episode where I show you the business rules that you need to follow. So go to masterpassiveincome.com forward slash zero five one. Now here's the business rules that you set up. Now, when I say business rules, this is what you're going to be giving your property manager and that's what you're going to make sure that they follow. So set up business rules for your tenants. Number one, rent is due on the first, always on the first. You know, I've had some people, we're moving in on the 21st. Can we have that be our date? No, no, no. We'll just prorate it to where the first is your due date and we'll prorate it, but you always do on the first. It gets convoluted if you do not have it on the first, have everybody on the first, because if you have, you know, 30 properties and each one has a different date, it just gets too crazy. Have everybody on the first. So number one, rent is due on the first. Number two, it is late after the third. So that would be like March 4th, you know, March 3rd, it's actually going, it's still, still um, not late, but March 4th, it's actually late. So you charge them a late fee. And on top of that, you put in a three day notice. So as soon as the fourth hits, you give them a three day notice and it's nothing special. All you do is you write a a letter and you tape it to the front door. Like you literally have to tape it to the front door. You can't like email it or anything like that. Yeah. You tape it to the front door, letting them know like the rent is due. You are late now. And we're going to have to start the eviction process once the three day notice is done. Now, what you're doing is basically letting them know that, Hey, you mean business. Like you cannot keep living in my place for free. Like if I didn't pay my mortgage, the bank would come after me and take my property away from me. So you need to hold them accountable to this. So you want the three-day notice to be put on the door on the fourth or the day that it's late, put it on there because you don't want to wait for that three-day notice. Let's say, for instance, you're, I'm going to be the nice guy. I'm going to let, you know, I'm not going to give a three-day notice, you know, and the 14th rolls around, the 18th rolls around, and each time they said, hey, but next Friday, oh, and then, you know, next Wednesday or next Friday or the first of the month, they keep pushing it back. Well, then if you haven't put your three-day notice on it, you cannot start the, literally cannot start the eviction. It's against the law to start the eviction unless there's a three-day notice. Most states, I mean, it might be some states where it doesn't work like that, but majority of states that I invest in, or all the states that I invest in, you put the three-day notice first, and then after those three days, you can start the eviction process. So if you wait until the first of the next month, like you wait an entire month, well, then you can't just start the eviction on the first of the next month because they haven't paid. You have to wait until you put the three-day notice and then wait three more days, which adds insult, adds, what was it? Insult to injury on top of that. You have to wait three more days before you can even start the eviction. And the eviction process takes about a month. And so the three-day notice is going to be given on the fourth. Now, here's my business rule I'm going to give you. Put this inside the three-day notice that eviction starts on the 14th. You know, I give them a leeway. I'm not going to start the eviction right away. You can say the 10th, you can say the 15th, you can say the 25th, whatever you want to do. But I let them know that the eviction is going to start on the 14th and it's not going to stop. Here's the last part. The, to, to stop the eviction, the tenant must pay all back rents, late fees and fees for the eviction, lawyer fees and all that sort of stuff. Now, some courts might say, hey, you can't charge for that. Well, I still try. I still try to get them to pay. If they want to stop the eviction, they pay. You know, sorry, the, what the courts might say is, hey, if you, um, they, they're willing to pay everything but the legal fees in order to stop the eviction. You can't, st- you can't pay for the legal fees. It's not like it's against the law for them to pay for the legal fees. The court sometimes just won't enforce that. They won't say, hey, this is a requirement. They might say, hey, they can pay everything else but the eviction. Anyways, all that to say, you want your business rules set up. Remember, rent is due on the first, late after the third, 
three-day notice on the 4th, eviction starts on the 14th or whatever date you choose, but you do not stop the eviction until the tenant pays all back rents, all late fees and fees for eviction. Now, here's another pro tip. A pro tip I'm going to give you. Do not collect any money unless it's the full amount. Like the tenant might say, you know, once the eviction started and it's already going, the tenant says, here's $100. I'm going to pay $100. Or even, you know, let's say the rent is $1,000. They give you $900. Say, here's $900. Now you might say, hey, great, that's $900. Well, you literally cannot continue with the eviction. The eviction stops. You have to file it all over again. So my opinion, how I run my business is I don't take any money unless it's the full payment. You absolutely want to make sure you protect yourself from having to start the eviction all over again. Now, here's another thing that some that happens to most people is they get analysis paralysis. If you guys have ever heard that term, it's where you're overanalyzing. You have too much information going in your brain that you can't really make a solid decision. You can't figure out which one's the best one, even though you kind of think it is, but you kind of get paralyzed where you're thinking, oh man, I don't know if I'm making the right decision. Now, my answer to that is two things. Number one, you need to get coaching. You need to get somebody that's a third party that's going to be looking at the deals for you who's done it before and say, this is what you're doing You know, with these eight properties. This is the number one. Here's number two. Here's number three. With the goals that you're going after, this is what I would suggest. Now, you make your own decision, but I would say go ahead and pull the trigger on these properties because these are good for you. And that, that usually, with all my students, that gets them over that hump, that hurdle to actually pull the trigger to buy that property. Now, here's the second part to that is as an investor, getting that first property is always the hardest. It's always the hardest out of all the properties to buy because we're we're nervous, we're concerned, we're worried, all that sort of stuff. What I suggest is get one win under your belt. Get past that analysis paralysis, get past all the issues and Force yourself to buy that first property. Once you do, you get one win under your belt. Win would be having a property that makes you money every single month. Then it's going to be so much easier for you to buy that next property. Get one win under your belt. Now, here's a tip I want to give you. Do not lose money. And this goes back to um, the question earlier, but you don't want to lose money in this business. Now, here's a suggestion I'm going to give you. Make sure that you will make money by reducing your income from your rental property, let's say you think you're going to rent it out for $1,200. Well, I would say, you know, cut it by at least 10, maybe 20% and see if you're still going to make money. So if you think you're going to make, you know, $1,200 a month in rent, imagine you only make $1,000. If you make $1,200, that's fantastic. Good for you. But in your numbers, calculate $1,000 instead of $1,200, just in case there was something you missed a number or you missed something or, or the property manager told you a wrong number or whatever it might be. You want to make sure that you do not overestimate your income and underestimate your expenses. You want to have that all taken care of. I'll give you an example, like one area in, in, that I invest in, in Houston, there's actually a city tax on top of a county tax. Everywhere I've, I've invested, it's a county tax, but this had a city tax and get this, it was even double the amount the county tax was. So imagine the sticker shock when I saw a $2,300 tax bill come to me. It's like, what? $2,300? That's a lot of money. Now, what it, I was, praise the Lord, it was, I got a really good deal on the property. So I was making uh, $650 a month. So I was able to take that hit when I saw that sticker shock, but it, I make a lot less money than I normally would. I have $2,300 less per year, which is a huge bummer, but oh, well, you know, I had, I, I had a, enough padding in there. So what I'm telling you is don't lose money and you work on making at least $250 a month and make sure that you cut your income 
and you increase your expenses. And if your numbers work well, then, then you probably have a good property. Now, here's another thing to get over that hurdle. You want to know your numbers on the property. So you calculate all your expenses, know the numbers, meaning calculate, making sure you're going to make $250 or more every single month. So in calculating your expenses, you want to double check and triple check all the expenses. Like, you know, is there a city or a state or a county tax, or if there's even like a local HOA that you didn't know about, whatever it might be, you want to find every expense and you want to calculate all that in. And I'm going to tell you that even if you plan on managing the property yourself, you also want to make sure that you put in the price of a property manager. Because let's say, God forbid, something happened and you needed to have somebody else manage the property. Well, you don't want to be losing money, so you're going to have that expense accounted in. Imagine that is your you paying yourself. Now, the next thing, along with knowing the numbers on the property, you want to buy according to your goals and financial ability. You know, I'm not going to buy a million-dollar property because, number one, it'd be a waste of money because you can't rent it for that much. That's <laughs> side of the point. But you if your goals, if your financial goal is just to slowly build wealth, then just buy a property that is going to be lower in, in maintenance and lower in, you know, headaches and, and not just headaches. That's not the right way to say it, but you have less work on the property because you're buying a better property. Now for me, I, my goal was to quit my job as fast as possible. So I started with the cheapest rental properties. I, I was buying properties for, you know, 12, 13, $13,000. And in doing that, there was a lot more work I had to do, but my goal was to be aggressive and to get as much money in my pocket and passive income as possible. And so that was my goal. Now my financial ability was, I only had $17,000 to start with. So I had to use that to the best of my ability. Some people may start with, you know, 300,000 then they have a different financial ability to buy. So you want to buy according to your goals. And I'm going to tell you that when I work with my students, I work with them in where they are financially. You know, if they have $15,000 to invest or $300,000 or more to invest, I figure out where they are, what their goals are and what their financial ability is. And I give them options. I say, here are your options. You need to choose the best one, but these are the best routes that you can go for your goals and for your financial ability. Now this, we're just about done. Now I want to give you a to-do list. When you start feeling like, oh man, I have this property that I really want to buy, or man, I, I want to start investing and I'm just scared of buying that first property. Obviously the first property is the hardest, but here's the to-do list that I want you to go through. The first thing to thought to think about, and I've said this before, is the easiest part of real estate investing is to actually buy the property. That's super easy. There's so many people that want to help you do that. Everything from realtors to title companies, wholesalers, all that sort of stuff. So buy in the right location. So finding the right state, finding the right city, even the right neighborhood, and even the zip code that you want to make sure that you find the right place to invest in. And that's by doing research. So your first to do find the right location. Your second to do is to have your business set up before you buy the property. Finding the property managers, selecting the property managers, realtors, wholesalers, all these different business um, other professionals that are going to be doing the work for you, you want to have that set up before you buy the property. Have your business completely set up, and they're going to help you set up the business right by you know having a good property manager. Finding he's going to find he or she is going to find the right property or inspect the right property. The realtor is actually going to find you certain areas and say this is better area is better than this one. Here's a good property, all that sort of stuff. So you have your business set up, people doing the work for you before you even buy. Next one is you need to find the right 
property to buy, like actually find the right property that is actually going to be the right one for you where you're not going to be afraid of the rehab. Like it's not, you know, $80,000 property and you're putting another $80,000 in to fix it up. It's not like that. You want to be able to get that, get that first win under your belt. We have a good property. You maybe put $3,000 into the property with paint, carpeting, you know, new fixtures or something like that. Like you put a few thousand dollars into it, but you're not doing a full remodel. That's a lot of work. And that's a whole nother, another podcast episode. So you want to find the right property and you're going to use other people to do that for you. Next step is your next to do is run the numbers to make sure you're making at least $250 or more each month. And also go with my other tip, my other pro tip is decrease your income from your rents and increase your expenses just to see if you're still gonna make money just in case if something didn't happen. So run the numbers, make which means figure out if you're making $250 or more each month in passive income. Next step or to-do is have inspectors go through the property before you buy it. I am so glad when I find properties that are that have work to do. So when I find them, I know that there's probably other things that I haven't seen. The home inspector is going to look at the entire property and give you a general understanding of the entire property. And what's great is when I get those back, usually, you know, hopefully it's it's hey, this property looks great. Let's go ahead and buy it. It's, I don't see anything new. Or there is something new like, hey, the foundation's a little off. You know, it's off by like two inches um, down on one side and opposed to the other. Well, I can go back to the, not the buyer, the seller. I can go back to the seller and say, hey, there's foundation issues. I didn't know this beforehand. I need to adjust my offer or I need you to fix up that or, you know, fix that entire, you know, uh, uh, sinking slab in which they can, they can, it's not, not horrible, but, um, I need you to fix that before I can buy the property. So have your inspectors go through the property. You can either, if you want to back out, you absolutely can, because hopefully you put an inspection period and I'll tell you that. And that's, that's why I tell my students, make sure it's an inspection period, another pro tip for you. But on top of that, the inspectors will give you the ability to renegotiate. And they'll also say, Hey, you have a good peace of mind. This is a good property. So uh, one thing I want to give you is on top of that next to do is you need to make an offer and leave room for negotiation. So I'm going to give you another pro tip is and this is me as a negotiator. I love negotiating. I love getting uh, cheaper in price. I love bringing the price down. Now, what's great is I have this saying that I give all my students. If you don't feel uncomfortable with the offer, you may be offering too much. Like if you're thinking, well, they're asking $350,000, you know, I'm gonna, I know I want to negotiate, so I want to come down, so I'm going to offer $348,000. <laughs> you're taking $2,000 off. Well, you're probably not going to feel uncomfortable. I'll tell you what, I bought a property, and this was back in 2010, I think, 20, 2009, 2010, right when the market crashed. So I had, it was a, a little different um, scenario, but they were asking like $25,000 for the property. I literally offered $6,500. It was a bank and an REO, so it was a bank, so I didn't care about hurting their feelings. But at first, I was like $6,500. I kind of feel a little nervous or I feel uncomfortable with the offer because it's such a low offer. Well, it turns out, after six months of not responding to my offer, they came back and said, hey, is that offer still available? I said, yes, it is. And so I bought the property for $6,500 as opposed to $25,000. So if you don't feel uncomfortable with the offer, you may be offering too much work on coming down. Don't feel like you're ripping somebody off. You want to feel like you're helping somebody because who knows, that might be the best offer that they're going to get and they need to take it because you know maybe they're getting a divorce and maybe they need the money or whatever it might be. Now, another to do to do. Now, the last one is allow others to do the rehab for you. 
I know a lot of people get concerned and worried about the rehab and how much it's going to cost and who's going to do it. You want others to do it. Everything from the the contractors to property managers to roofers, all that sort of stuff. And I want to give you a few other things. Number one, get multiple quotes. Get multiple quotes on everything, you know, from the entire contracting business. Um, You know, a contractor comes in, you want two contractors to come in. If you have a septic system, make sure you get at least two or three quotes on that. But a big thing I want to give you with getting multiple quotes, negotiate the price. Negotiate the price on everything. If you get, you know, three quotes, negotiate lower the price with all of them. I'll give you an example. So just recently, like literally like two days ago, I was literally in Salt Lake City. I got this email from my property manager. Number one, she got one quote for the property to be fixed up. You know, the tenant was evicted. I had to fix up the property, came back that there's three thirty five hundred dollars worth of work. I'm like, oh my goodness, that's way, that's ridiculous. I that's I, I can't pay that. That's just way too much because I knew the scope of work and I just thought it was way too much. And I said, I need you to get me at least two more quotes. Like one quote is not good enough for a thirty five hundred dollar job. If it's thirty five hundred dollars, then so be it. It's thirty five hundred dollars. But this is ridiculous. I need at least two more quotes. She came back. One was or she got two quotes came back and said, hey, one of them is, you know, uh, I think it was like 3,200, which is great. Another one came back at 2,800. I'm like, okay, great. So we have two different quotes. I said, well, what do you what do you think about the 2,800? Is it a good company or are they just going to do shoddy work? She says, no, it's a good company. I think they're going to do really well and we caught everything and everything looks good. We're going to go with them or we recommend going with them. I said, great. Ask them if they'll do it for 2,500. And she's like, uh, Okay. And I said, yeah, ask them if they'll do it for 2,500. They actually did. They came back and said, yes, we'll do everything, the entire scope of work for $2,500. Can you believe that? So fantastic ability to have money saved because I just asked two questions. Number one, get me multiple quotes. Number two, I asked, can they come down on the price? Like, you know, can you do it for $2,500? So that is a great way for you to save money. And I want to say thank you so much for listening to this entire episode and last week's episode as well. Hopefully, this has helped you to, instead of having everything unknown, making it known so you can see what might be coming if something happens what you're supposed to do, what's a good route to go, so that it's no longer unknown, but you just got to walk past it or walk through it and then not have that fear stopping you from investing, from growing, from scaling your business, from becoming financially independent and actually quitting your job or retiring early or just changing your life. And that is it for today. Go ahead and get my free real estate investing course. Text the word rental to 33777. R-E-N-T-A-L to 33777. You can also join my Real Estate Wealth Builders group coaching. Get all my courses. All right, guys, we'll see you in the next show. See ya.